everybody. Before we jump into our text today, I, I, I want to make it a habit in my life of always being thankful. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we had a father-daughter dinner here, and it doesn't happen without a lot of help. And, and I want to say thank you to all the people who really, you know, something that Dan talked about last week, taking seriously what it means to invest into the body with the gifts that God has given you and to share that with others. And so, you know, we've been doing this for, for years, and this same kitchen crew every year shows up, and Rich, and Kevin, and Brian, and uh, John, obviously, and Tom. There's a great kitchen crew that helps to, to make sure that we have an amazing dinner. We had homemade mac and cheese this year. Fabulous. Um, it doesn't just happen with them. We have some great servers as well, and a host who did an excellent job of making everybody feel like this was a, a, a time to just focus on dads spending time with their daughters, which is the, the model that we want to set for them and to really, hopefully these dads walk out of this with an expectation this is the only, isn't the only time this happens. But so thank you, servers. Ryan, you're not in that picture, but I think you were there. Thanks for serving. Mark's not in that picture. Aaron, who took the pictures, thank you, everyone. You guys made it possible for a dad to spend a one-on-one -on -one dinner with his daughter. You made it possible for a dad to spend dinner with three of his daughters. And you even made it possible for a granddaughter to have dinner with her grandfather. So thank you so much. Uh, it really, it, it takes the body to really contribute and, and you guys take that seriously. So thank you. Now, yeah, go ahead. I actually want to start off our discussion here in Ephesians chapter 4 in a similar way using an illustration that I hope helps us to visually get an idea of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Because all throughout this letter, and specifically here in the second half of chapter 4, he, he talks about, he uses his phrase, take off the old and put on the new. That's why the title of the message today is Out with the Old and In with the New. And, and that, it's a language where you say, uh, you know, I... It's hard to visualize exactly what he's talking about. And I think that this is a, a very good way, at least for us, to start. Now, when you look at this picture, you see a fireman who you recognize because of his uniform. And he wears that clothing as protective so he can go into a building. He can have, you know, be protected from fire and whatnot. But when he takes that clothing off at home, does he stop? Does he cease to be a fireman? No, he doesn't, because actually the clothes are just a reflection of his responsibility that has been created through years of training and having his mind transformed into what it means to be a fireman. Sometimes I, I feel like that too. It's, it's okay. you can't laugh at yourself, then, you know, you can't, I can't take myself too seriously. So, the, the uniform is merely a reflection of the change that has really happened on the inside. That, that even when he's at home, if he's a dad, he, he's, he's always going to be a fireman. He won't ever see the world in a different way after he goes through that process. Much in the same way that a policewoman who wears the uniform to serve and protect when she goes home, if she's a mom, she's a daughter, she's all these different things, she doesn't stop 
being a policewoman. Neither do these men or women. Now, you were to ask me, can you take the Marine out of the Marine? You, you, you will, the answer is no, by the way. You don't ask the question, okay? Let me just give you a hint. Because if you do ask that question, you're, you're probably going to find out, no, you cannot take the Marine out of the Marine simply by removing the uniform. That's who they have been transformed in their mind to be, and it's changed the expectations for how they, their responsibility to a group of people. Those men and women go into a place where they are responsible to one another in a way that their full trust, faith, and expectations are for the support of each other in a commitment to something different than the rest of the world. See, and and this is what Paul is doing when he talks about putting off the old and putting on the new. He's talking about letting go of a way of life that is really no longer relevant because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of His resurrection, and Him seated at the right hand of the Father. There is a new kingdom, a new set of values, a new expectation, and a new uniform for those who have been called to be a part of His community and to participate in that. And one of the things that I'm so excited about in reading a text like this is it's not so much, hey, stop this, stop that, don't do that, although there are admonitions in there to stop certain behaviors. It's more about, don't you want to be a part of this? See, I'm, I'm so much more about vision Like, I want to be about this thing. Call me to something, not just away from something else. And that's what Paul, the picture that he's really painting for us today. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to begin. We're going to read through chapter 5, verse 2. I'll have it on the screen, and it's in your notes as well. Apostle Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. See, this is what Paul is talking about. This transformation doesn't just come from changing your behavior. It comes by the, the transformation of your mind and the way you think. This is very important to what we're talking about today. He says, they are darkened, the Gentiles, in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to, here's that phrase again, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, what a gift it is to spend this time together in Your Word, to be encouraged. We pray, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would draw us to You through the exposition of Your Word today, that You would work in our hearts and minds, You would meet us where we're at, and You would draw us closer to You, that we would be attracted to the new kingdom that You began in Jesus 2,000 years ago, and that You will complete when You return. Father, I know that every one of us lives in the tension between this already but not yet understanding of the desires we still have, and yet knowing in our minds that we belong to a greater kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us to surrender our will to Yours every day, and that You would use us as instruments of Your truth, of Your grace and Your mercy in our relationships. May You be honored. May You be glorified. May You be praised this morning. We pray all these things in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, so as I said, this, this is, there are a list of things in there that Paul says, hey, put off, but what he's primarily saying is, you, you, you should be a part of this kingdom that you, you actually already are. So Dan, one of Dan's titles of his message was, you know, be who you already are. This is what Paul's talking about. This is who you are in Christ. So let's start living in the reality of this, of this new kingdom because that's what happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is at hand, it's coming, and he ushered that in in his life through his life, his death, his resurrection, being seated at the right hand of the Father. That means that he is ruling until he comes again. Now, Paul would use this language, which I think is helpful in the third chapter of Colossians. And Colossians and Ephesians are, are very similar, written probably very close to the same time. Actually, the regions are pretty close as well. But I think what's important here is the language, the tense of the language that shows you what Paul is talking about. He says, since then, you, and some of the translations will say, if you have been raised with Christ. Is that present or past tense? Past tense tense. You have been raised with Christ. Now, he's talking to people who are alive still. He says, this is what you're to do. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that doesn't just mean like your head is in the clouds. It means that your values now come from His kingdom, not the world's values. So, we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Past tense. You, your body, that system has died, and now your life is in Christ. That, that is a past thing and now a present thing in our lives. This is about what the community of God looks like. Every one of the yous in this, and I'll, I keep saying this through Ephesians, you know, in Western culture, we tend to, to take these things individually when we hear the word you. In every one of these, it is plural. It is y'all. Now, Paul's not from Texas, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, y'all, this is our kingdom. This is what it looks like for us to be a part of the community of God. 
So let, let's just start with the big picture here, and then, and then we'll kind of narrow down to a few details that Paul, that Paul goes over. Um, Tim Mackey, who's one of the founders of the Bible Project, you know, they have this free online resource called Classroom, and it is seminary-level class, classes that are free. You can take online. I would encourage every one of you to go through them. And there is one on Ephesians, where, which is where I pulled this chart from. It's a great picture of, again, what Paul is talking about. He says, take off your old human. Now, that, that sounds weird, right? Take off your old human. Well, the word that we translate self, take off the old self, is actually the little, literal word for human, humanity. It's take off the old humanity, the way of life, and put on the new one, the one that is created in Christ Jesus. So what are we to do? Let go of the former way of life because our minds are being transformed by the renewing of God's Spirit, aligning us with the values of His kingdom and making the values of the old kingdom something that we just, we have this tension against. We know it's not the way that we want to live. See, that, that, that way is, is going away. It's being ruined, and then it's being replaced with the kingdom of God and His values. So, instead of lying, speak truth to one another. Get rid of anger. Don't take things from each other. Speak well, esteem in your language. Build each other up. Let go of bitterness, anger, wrath, yelling, all of these things, and replace them with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. This is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. So that is what we're being called to, this new way of seeing humanity. It's a new way of recognizing our uniform, right? This is what God has called us to participate in by the renewing of our minds. Now, it's interesting, the very first verse of chapter 6, Paul says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the call. I beg of you, I plead of you to live a life worthy of your calling. And then he goes on really from verses 7 through 16 and has kind of a, a different exposition. And then in 17, he comes back and then he reiterates the very thing he said in verse 1, only in the negative. So how are you going to do this? How are you going to live a life worthy of your calling? You are no longer going to live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Make note of that. In their thinking, not just their behavior, it's their thinking that leads to their behavior. That, that's the root. See, the old humanity and the new humanity are at odds with one another. They can't live in harmony because they submit to different authorities. And in his classroom on this, Tim Mackey says this. I think this is very helpful. He says, it's a, it's a contradiction within the new identity because it allows our behavior to be controlled by the value sets that have been nullified. What he's saying is that there's a value set in this old way of thinking, and through Christ and His life, the cross, His resurrection, and His ascension, that way is gone. It's old. And so to live in accordance with those, those uh, values is, is to live in a contradiction of who you are. Where, whereas there is the, the new kingdom that Jesus has ushered in, and we're called to be a part of that. See, that one is going away. It's disintegrating. It's not what we're supposed to align ourselves with. We're supposed to align ourselves with the, the new kingdom. So he says the new humanity's behaviors are an act of faith. It means living in trust that the new humanity behavior actually corresponds to the truest reality. 
So when we align ourselves with the power of God's Spirit by renewing our minds into the new humanity, the new kingdom of God, what we're doing is we are proclaiming Jesus is actually sitting at the right hand of the Father, that this is actually His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and that the old one is going to pass away. You don't want to align yourself with the one that's passing away. You want to attach yourself to the one God is renewing. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, who's actually in charge? Which kingdom do we trust? You know, the old and the new really submit to different authorities. That's, that's the point. They're in conflict with one another. And I know this idea of submitting, submission, we, we don't like that. We're really going to get into that in chapter 5. And I understand why for many people this idea of authority and, and sub- submitting has been abused in every culture for all time, including the church. But it's very clear that Jesus is the example of submission to the Father. He says very clearly, I don't do anything, I didn't do anything except what the Father has sent me to do, right? To the cross, not my will but yours be done. And so just because we take advantage or mismanage something that God created does not make the thing that God created bad. It means that we are, we are misusing it because submission is a very helpful thing in the Scriptures, and we see it in the example of Jesus. So who do we submit to? Now, I want to submit my life and, and my character and everything to the authority of Christ because I trust Him more than anyone else. He is never changing. He is the same. Culture changes by the day on what its expectation is. And I have no idea what tomorrow will be. So my allegiance and submission is, is to Christ. Now, I know there are people who say, let's close-minded. You're not opening your mind to, to other things. And I, I say, okay, so we're picking different authorities to submit to. Or someone might say, no, I don't submit to anything really but myself. Really? So you're telling me that you live on the remotest hill where you never are influenced by anybody or anything? See, that's just not a very honest thing to say. All of us are influenced by the people that we respect, by the books we read or the shows we watch or the music that we listen to, even our parents. Like all, (laughs) there is so much influence on our lives. It becomes like water in a fishbowl. You don't even know it's there, but it is affecting you. And, and so, the real, the real truth is that we just have different authorities that we submit to. You know, the, James says, you know, in out, kind of outlining the same thing that Paul's talking about, this cascading effect or domino effect of what happens when we, we start to push ourselves away from God or we start to not listen to Him anymore he says, temptation comes from our own desires. This, this with temptation, what's he talking about? This draw to the, to the old values of, of culture, the things that we think will, will make us happy, that culture tells us will make us happy, and we're, we're drawn to those things. And so what happens is we're, we're tempted by those things. They entice us. They drag us away from God. These desires then give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death which is essentially what Paul is saying in verses 18 and 19. He says that their minds had become darkened to the wisdom of God. And when that happens, 
It, it leads them to a hardened heart. Now, that language, hardened heart, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that they're not compassionate or they don't care for people. What that phrase literally means is that they have become resistant to the instruction of God. It, it means a hardened heart isn't, isn't allowing anything in from God. It is rejecting the wisdom of God. And so when that happens, then we sin. And the more we sin, the easier it gets. You see how that domino effect, one after the other after the other, and before you know it, as James says, in the end, it leads to death, separation from God. So Paul's saying, hey, look, don't go down that path. Don't, don't follow that. Don't act like your neighbors who are. You're, you're called to a different kingdom and a different reality now. And Paul does this in a number of his letters. I think nowhere better, in my opinion, than Romans chapter 1. Much of this language is very similar to Ephesians, and you'll see this. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking, their minds became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's the same language. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, again, we're talking about what what has space in our minds. So God then gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to, what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Are, are those not the same words that Paul's using in Ephesians? Malice, anger, destruction, all, all, all of these things. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. <laughs> they do. It's, it's a talent. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I understand that's a, that's a large section of Romans to, to read, and it's not to point fingers out there. I think there are many times when we find ourselves caught in that same tension of, of going back and forth between these things. But I wanted to put all of it in there because the very end is very important. It's not just about those who practice those things, but those who approve of the ones who practice those things. Paul is saying, you're both aligning yourself with the old values of the kingdom that is going away. You know, the irony in, in reading that text, at least for me, is I, I think about that this is describing in Paul's day and today the people who would describe themselves as intellectuals. These are the people everyone's supposed to listen to because they're the smartest of, of the bunch. But God says, because they have rejected Him, their minds have become darkened, callous to the truth of God, and that arrogance has caused them to become fools. So, it, I'm not saying that, that there's no such thing as an intelligent person who doesn't believe in God. Obviously, there are. What I'm saying is that no matter how intelligent they may be on the IQ scale, if they reject God and His wisdom as being part of understanding what life is about, all they have is the old way. They, they can't see it. 
And, and you know what? This has changed how I pray for people. Not that their behavior would necessarily change, but that God would open their minds through His Spirit for, in order for them to see that there's an alternative, that, that God is calling them to a new kingdom and a new set of values, but they're blinded to all of it. And so they're stuck with, well, yeah, I might have to push a few people down to get up. That's just how things work here. You know what? I, I don't have to be completely honest in my dealings because you know what? Nobody really is. And I need to make sure that I make enough money. And these are the values that are going away. And Paul says, you don't want to be a part of that. And I read this crazy thing where in uh, the Roman culture, there was a time where if they caught a murderer, one of the things, they, they were very creative in how they punished people. One of the things that they would do is they would strap the corpse to the back of the person who committed the murder, and he would have to carry them around. Now, what do you think would eventually happen to the person who was carrying them around? they would get sick too, and eventually as that corpse rotted, and then they would die. And what Paul is, this is language Paul is using, take that body off. It's dead. It's not going to be a part of the new kingdom, so why would you even spend a minute there? So you've been called to a greater and a new way of life and a new kingdom. I, I think of this in, in parenting. You know, if I just... When my children recognize that my instruction for them comes from love, comes from a place that really they trust as me wanting them to succeed and to do well, then they honor me by living in the way that I've asked them to because they trust me. They're not just following rules. See, if I teach my children just to follow these rules because I said so and I don't tell them why and I don't have any of that stuff in there, then what happens when they leave my house? They graduate those rules. They were just rules to follow for dad. Now they're on their own and they have their own expectations. But if they recognize that their father loves them and has given them the boundaries to flourish in life, then those boundaries will continue with them out of a love, knowing that this is what they're being called to. Not just told not to do this, but to be called to something better, which I think is really important. Now, let's look here specifically at a couple of things that Paul says. He says, speak the truth. This is kind of a no-brainer, right? Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. We're all members of one body. Why is that important? Because why would you lie to yourself? You don't lie to yourself. You might tell yourself, you know, you might fib or whatever, but you don't lie to yourself in, in a way that God says through Paul, hey, look, you're, you're lying to yourself. This is one body. Why, why would you do that? And it's not just about our honesty. And you'll see, because Paul is actually pulling here, quoting Zechariah 8, where God tells the people through Zechariah, he says, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. What's happening in the court is not just a testimony. You've got scales and how you judge. You've got justice and injustice, and God is saying how you're honest through all of these things matters because that is what the kingdom of God looks like. This one is corrupt. It's going away. The kingdom of God looks differently. And, you know, Zechariah, I think rightfully Paul pulls from this because Zechariah was preaching at a, a unique time, really in the hist of, history of, of Israel. The Israelites have been in exile in Babylon for 70 years. 
and they've just come back to Jerusalem. And this is the time that Zechariah is prophesying to them, and he's telling them, hey, let's not do that again. Because how did they get in that position? They got in that position. They were exiled. The Babylonians were allowed to come take them out because the people had rejected the covenant of God. And that's in the covenant. Back going about Mount Sinai, God said, do these things, follow what I say, and you will have these blessings. But if you don't, if you reject my counsel, if you reject my wisdom, then the consequences will be your enemies will overtake you, which is exactly what happens. So Zechariah says, let's not do that anymore. Let's be fair in the way we trade with one another, in our scales, and our justice. And Paul is reiterating the same thing. God would also say this through Zechariah. He says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the Hebrew word for that, the city of truth, it's not just truth. It's also about faithfulness and reliability, continuity. God's saying, I am a God of faithfulness. I am someone you can trust. I am honest, and I will be there for you in a consistent way. And so this is what my kingdom looks like. Do you want to be a part of it? That, that's what Paul is saying. Do you want to be a part of this? This is what God's kingdom looks like. It is filled with honesty and faithfulness and trust. You know, I, I love to fish with my son. He's, he's 12 now, and he's getting really good at it. He loves it. And, he, you know, we've got a river that's uh, just, you know, a few hundred yards in, behind our house. It's amazing grace of God to have that and to get to go out in the summertime and fish. And it's, you know, it's a shallow river and they're pretty small fish. It's catch and release only, which is great. Let them get bigger. But um, he's allergic to trout anyway. He can't eat them. So we have to let them go. I can't eat all the trout. We just have to let most of them go. And that's fine. And it's great. But he, he really does. He has a fisherman's heart. And I, I know that because um, he struggles with uh, measuring things. Um, spatial recognition, I don't know. This is something I've found in many fishermen, actually. They, they, they tend to, they, it's like kind of in here somewhere, right? Where, where, and one of the things he says to me, he says, Dad, how come the fish are so much smaller in the pictures than the ones I catch? You know, and it's like, oh, buddy, how do I tell this to you? <laughs> Proverbs 24 says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And I guess that's, that's true because really how you receive the honest answer depends on who's kissing you, <laughs> right? Like, oh, no, that, that's, I don't want to receive that. It's from anybody but my wife, thanks. So, but it's true. Speaking the truth in love is something that is going to be about the kingdom of God that is definitely not a part of the kingdom that's passing away. So what does Paul say about anger? What is, where, where, a better way to phrase this is, what place does anger have in the kingdom of God? Well, he says here, in your anger, do not sin. and Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Uh, quick Bible study note. Anytime you see quotations in there, that's not, that's not quoting Paul. That's Paul quoting somewhere else. Now, oftentimes, Paul will mash different quotations of the Old Testament together, and they don't put quotation marks. But this one specifically is right out of Psalm 4, where it says, Tremble, and in your anger do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. There's a different way 
to respond to anger than we often do. And I put that in your anger in parentheses. It might not be in some of your translations. It is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And Paul is clearly pulling directly from that. Again, giving us a picture of what it looks like. How do we deal in the new humanity with the things that are so attractive in the old humanity? I I think most of us in this room know what it's like to let anger get the best of us. Same things we we need to apologize for, and, and, it, and anger often reveals some emotion in our hearts that we wish other people couldn't see. It's devastating to relationships. Gary Thomas, who wrote a great book, I quoted him two weeks ago, The Glorious Pursuit, he says this, anger destroys the posture of humility and chafes against surrender. In other words, anger smashes humility and it pushes away surrender. And, and why is that important? Because all of what Paul is talking about here is what it looks like to surrender to God, to His will, to His kingdom, to, to His ways. And, and when we don't do that, when we continue to align ourselves back with the old way, this is what we're doing. We're rejecting God's kingdom. Now, notice he doesn't say, you can't be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So, what does that mean? Well, Jesus at the temple takes the money changers, turns the tables over. You know what He did to drive them out? It says Jesus made a whip and drove them out. And, it, you know, you, you want to talk about the picture of, of, of Jesus. He, you know, we always picture Him. He's flowing hair and He's holding a lamb. And I'm picturing Him sitting down and He's weaving a whip. And here it comes right? But that's that's righteous anger. Why is it righteous anger? Because it's anger about the things that anger God. His temple had been turned into something it was never meant to be. See, I think it's good to get angry about the things that anger God. As a matter of fact, that's, we're commanded to step in in many ways. Psalm, sorry, Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's a call to action. That's usually driven from someone being taken advantage of. The problem for most of us is that the things that anger us are not the things that anger God. We get angry when we're offended. We get angry when we, someone gets in between us and something we want or, or we are restricted from something. Righteous anger is always about the things that anger God. And that's a way you can shape your prayers, to have Him help you understand the things that make Him angry and to let go of the things that you're supposed to just give to Him. You know, in Deuteronomy, He tells the people, vengeance is mine. Don't, don't take revenge. Paul would repeat that in Romans chapter 12. Revengeance is the Lord's. Allow Him to take that and step in where He calls you to defend the poor and the needy. See, because when we live like that, what we're doing is we are leaving the old standard of life that is passing away, and we are aligning ourselves with the new kingdom of God. That old kingdom went to the cross with Jesus. Because of that, we're not required to live by its standards anymore. Instead, we're called to a a new standard 
We're called to a new uniform that is a reflection of a mind that has been transformed by God's Spirit to desire the things of His kingdom more than the kingdom that is passing away. And in order to do that, the old has to go. Now, I understand that's going to be a battle sometimes, and I think that this is probably true for most of us in this room. At some point in our lives, we feel this tension of, of understanding. I kind of have one foot in two worlds here. I feel like my mind is being drawn towards being renewed to the kingdom of God and the things that He says that we are to be about. I believe He is ruling from His throne, and I want to be a part of His kingdom. And yet, I, I still have responsibilities here. I have a job with people who aren't Christians, or I have family members that, that aren't, and I, and I have interactions with people every day, and I feel this desire for my body to be pulled back into these things, and yet I know that's not where I'm supposed to be. You're not the only one. You know, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, in my mind, I know the things I ought to do. So why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do? And Paul makes a very clear distinction that's important for us this morning. He says, it's not me, it's not I that do it, and he's not like advocating responsibility, he's saying it's not the new me created in Christ, it is this body that I am still in that is subject to gravity and age and all these other things that are a reality of the kingdom that's passing away. And so how do I live in that tension between the already but not yet world? Well, Paul says you do it by allowing the Spirit of God to daily transform your mind to desire the things of His kingdom through His Word, through the community and fellowship of believers and committing yourself to a new way of life. See, Jesus went to the cross in obedience to the Father, and when doing that, He took our dishonesty with Him. He took our bitterness, our, our anger, our malice, our, our rage so that we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to be subject to those expectations. You know, in John chapter 3 where he says, I came to, 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 to give everlasting life, John 3, 16. I, I always read that, actually 26 years ago I read that and I thought, okay, that's a time-based thing. That's about when I die, I get everlasting life, I, I go to heaven. And that's not what he's saying. Everlasting life is about the wholeness of life that begins now and continues into eternity with God. And you can see that a transformed life is a whole newness of life. We're working through the book of Acts. Right away, chapter 2, you start to see this happen. Lives are transformed because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what happens? They are never the same. The communities are changed. Everywhere they go, communities are changed because this new reality, Jesus as king, is what they want to align themselves with. The old is going away. You can look outside and see it yourself. It is destroying itself. And what it will be replaced with is the kingdom of God where there will be no dishonesty or anger or bitterness or rage or malice speaking ill of each other, so why not start living that way now? That's the kingdom God is calling us to. In the classroom, uh, Tim Mackey says this, which I think is, is very important for us to understand how this works. 
He says the new humanity comes first as a, a grace gift. That's why using the same word twice. It's, it is a gift of God. The new humanity in Christ Jesus is a gift from God. And when your mind is transformed by his spirit, then the behavior follows. See, you, you live as part of the new humanity because you, you love the king. You understand that his ways are best. You're not just keeping rules because you think that's what you're supposed to do, but you're actually devoted to the one who sets the new expectations, who's given you the new uniform and called you his child. Do you, do you believe that you are a child of God? Because if you do, what do we just sing? You are free. Free, free for what? Free to live apart from those old standards and those old expectations, and you are now free to participate in the kingdom of God as if it was as true today as it will be a thousand years from now. See, I love that. I, I love being called to a vision to something that's bigger than myself, not just being told what not to do. And I hope that that is a, a, an epiphany for you today to recognize. This isn't just about changing behavior. It's about what kingdom do I want to align myself with? Who, 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 do I want to be a part of the kingdom that's continuing to eternity, or do I want to hold on to the one that's dying and going away? That's the that's the choice. That's the vision that God is giving us through Paul here. He's saying, you can participate in this one. L let go of the old one. It's going away. Just as Paul says in the very first verse of chapter 5, he says, follow God's example. As dearly loved children, and walk, live in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering, and I would say obedient, sacrifice to God. Every one of us has been given a new uniform by the transformation of our minds in the Spirit of God. And now we can't ever go back. Can a fireman ever not think in the way a fireman does after he's gone through all of that, regardless of what clothing he's wearing? No. So, neither can we if we are renewed in Jesus. Okay, that, that's something that I, I, you know, it's the reason that I wanted to celebrate communion together today is because I think it does two things for us really well. I think that it gives us an opportunity to reflect on the cost of our renewal, that it, that it is grace freely given to us, but that it costs God, His Son, that His body was broken and His blood was shed, and He told His disciples before He was arrested, I want you to do this in remembrance of Me. And so we do it in remembrance of Him, but we also do it as a proclamation that we believe that Jesus is on the throne, that He is ruling. This is His kingdom, and it will eventually be here on earth as it is in heaven, and we will proclaim Him as King until He comes again. So the way that we practice communion is we will do this together. We will have you start in the very back rows come up the outside. You can grab the elements on either side of the table and then go back up the center aisle to your seats. Keep the elements, and then we will take them together. And you can start that now.
So we, we take the bread, the cracker, because Jesus did this with His disciples and told them to do this in remembrance of me. And they didn't fully understand what was going to happen. You and I have the benefit of looking back and saying that Jesus would willingly give His body so that we could be reunited to God, that our sin could be dealt with on the cross. And so every time we take this bread, we do it in remembrance of Jesus' willing sacrifice for our sin. In the same way, He took the cup and He said, this cup represents the new covenant in, in my blood, the new agreement and community of what God's people are going to look like. And so, when we do this, we do this in remembrance of His blood that was shed for that new covenant, but we also raise it to proclaim Jesus as King until He returns, and our allegiance will be to Him. Father, thank You for our time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And thank you for your son, Jesus, for it is, th- is through his faithfulness to you, his sacrifice on the cross that we are free to walk away from the old way of living, the old life and its values, and we are free to live within the values of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, to live with the priorities that are your priorities and allow your spirit to continue to transform our minds and to renew us into people who desire the things of your kingdom more than the old ways that our bodies are tempted to return to. And so, Lord, we ask for your power and your strength and your grace where we fail to get up, to confess, to repent, and to get back into pursuing your will in our lives. But what a gift it is, Lord, that you've given us your spirit And then you have promised to continue what you began in us into being remade into the likeness of your son, Jesus. So we thank you for that. We thank you for everyone here. And I pray, Lord, that your name above all will be honored and glorified today. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you can pass your cups to the outside and our ushers will come grab those from you. And then we're going to continue our worship with our offering. Crushers will come forward to do that, and we're going to close with a song. So thanks for being here today, guys. Have a great Sunday.